You know, when, when most of you know Nathan and Alicia's story, uh, Levi, that song break, brought back a lot of memories because we sang it every day. Every day uh, in Memphis. And so that has special meaning for me. And it always chokes me up because our hope is in Christ. And it remains there. Um, we're going to tell you a little bit about where we have come from and who we are. Um, other than Nathan's mom and dad. Uh, Janice and I have been married for 47 years. We have three grown children, Nathan, Harmony, and Mina. And we have 10 grandchildren, which is awesome. Uh, we've been missionaries for the past 22 years. And for the first 14, we had a health ministry. Uh, two missionaries, we would go, they would they would say, hey, can you come for a certain amount of time and uh, help me, whatever that looked like. Uh, we have been missionaries in China, Hong Kong, Romania, South Sudan, Niger, West Africa, Argentina, Chile, and of course, Guatemala, because we thought you might need a little while. <laughs> so we know life on the field not only has its um, joys and victories, but also challenges and obstacles. Missionaries can face loneliness, discouragement, lack of fellowship, and just physical hardship. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, and 9 says, but we have this treasure in clay jars to show that its extraordinary power comes from God and not from us. In every way, we were troubled but not crushed, frustrated but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, <clears throat> struck down but not destroyed. So just a little about where we've served and why we know that missionaries face these things. Is we served in a mission uh, orphanage in China and lived among 240 children. The average temperature while we were there was 34 degrees. We would pray the sun was going to come out so we could go outside and just warm up. Um, we wore multiple layers of clothing and we showered about every three to four days. And that shower consisted of going down to the kitchen in the morning, getting a bucket of hot water, and just putting a cup of water over your head. Now, we didn't stink because it was so cold, we didn't perspire. Um, and the kids in the orphanage, they only took showers on Saturdays. Um, we, on the opposite extreme, we served in South Sudan. The average temperature there, 124. We had electricity two hours a day, and that was powered by a generator. The missionaries we served with, they would um, power on the generator about 6.30 at night, so the router would come on so we could get, send and receive our emails. Um, <coughs> We lived right on the Nile River, and we lived in an orphanage there as well. 
When we arrived, David weighed 171. When we left, he weighed 138. Mm -hmm. I weighed 138 when we arrived, and I weighed 112 when we left, and my hair was literally falling out. We had red beans and rice every day, every meal. On Fridays, um, we would have some beef cubes. David and I would walk about two miles down to the market in town, which was not really a market, and we slaughtered the cows on Friday. So we and it's would, just hanging there on a the hook. Yeah, so we would get so many kilos of beef and walk back, and the cooks would cube them and boil them, and everybody had two boiled cubes of fresh cow. Um, we also lived in Niger, West Africa. Niger is 97% Muslim. Um, we heard the call to prayer, um, you know, all throughout the day. The missionaries that we served there, they were church planters, and their church had been firebombed three times because of them trying to bring the gospel. So we believe passionately that missionaries need listening ears helping hands and encouraging words to enable them to stay focused on their calling and to run the race with endurance. I wanted to read just um, a couple a couple letters real quickly. One, one is from about 2,000 years ago and it was written by Paul and it's 2 Corinthians 1, 8. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die, but as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God, who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. And you are helping us by praying for us. Then many people will give thanks because God graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. And I want to read another letter that we received from one of our C10 missionaries. And this is why we do what we do. Today is one of those days that shakes us. For several weeks, we've been wrestling with the heaviness. We pray, we carry on, but we're weary. Many fellow missionary families have left, some of them for good reasons, some of them good friends, but many are leaving nonetheless. The stakes are high, the race is hard, the cost is great. Today we learned of yet another family that we know and admire that is suddenly leaving. Why? Because Satan found an entry point into their family. Their children have been subject to something very traumatic and the whole family has been wounded. Our hearts are heavy, so very heavy. Please pray. Pray for all the missionaries. It's not just health and foreign country stuff, intercede for our families. The quickest way Satan knows to get us off the field and out of the business of spreading the gospel is to destroy our families. It is war. Husbands leading well, wives feeling protected and leading into their leadership. Both parents bearing the weight of protecting and nurturing their children. We need you. We all do. So as you pray specifically for the healing of our friends and their young children, we beg you to stand in the gap. 
for all of us, searching beyond the borders of home. When we were in the jungles of Guatemala, uh, when Levi uh, became ill, and during that period of time, we had a, we were with a different mission organizations, and they just didn't have pastoral care, right? It's just not something that they did, and we were in desperate need of pastoral care. So we started looking for another organization, and uh, we heard of this, this organization in Texas, and they required us to attend a three-day orientation. So that was in June of 2014, and during that three days, at the end of it, they asked us, uh, if we would prayerfully consider joining their staff uh, in the pastoral care department. And Janice and I serve with seven other pastoral care couples, and we serve missionaries throughout the world um, and help them to maintain, uh, help them to remain spiritually healthy, physically healthy, emotionally healthy while on the field. Uh, Janice and I serve 56 missionary units in Guatemala. Uh, whether that be a single or a married, that's a unit. Um, they really appreciate us calling them a unit. <laughs> but we have 56 of them throughout the country. We have two in Argentina and one in Chile. Um, what does that look like? Uh, we visit them once a year. Uh, at, at the very minimum once a year uh, to see how they're doing. We stay in touch with them regularly via email, Zoom calls lately, and Skype calls, uh, Messenger, WhatsApp, all the medias that, that we can use to connect and just to see how they are doing. Uh, in the event of a crisis, and our first two visits in, into Guatemala, were crisis visits. Uh, unfortunately, we had a, uh, a husband of one of our missionaries pass away, um, and then we had another traumatic uh, accident. Our, another missionary was involved in. We get on a plane as quickly as possible and go down and be with them. Just We know the value of somebody being there. And, you know, originally one of the, the first ladies we went to, she goes, David, no, you don't have to come. And I said, yes, we do, because we know that feeling. So you can tell maybe um, we're passionate about what we do. Uh, it is our heart. It's what we have, uh, the Lord's called us to. And hopefully, building the relationship with, with our missionaries, we become a safe place for them and they are confident then and feel safe enough to share their hurts, their hearts, and their hopes. Um, I'll, we'll end with this. And this is a saying that, that we have known for many, many years and have come to know the truth of the statement. When the passion on the inside is greater than the circumstances on the outside. The stage is set for God to reveal His greatness. 
and he does that in each of us if we allow him. So. I'm going to put my shirt back on because I think this is um, a little distracting. <laughs> um, but perhaps you do need a little bit of Guatemala, I'm just saying. Um, several years ago, we had um, some friends of ours, a couple in this room, that came down to see us in Guatemala. And we spent a work, uh, a week. We spent a week doing work. Um, and it was pretty awesome. So, you know, if any of you get the, uh, the desire to go to Central America, let me know. <laughs> we'll take you with us. Okay. Let's get into the Word. Let's pray. Father, uh, it humbles me to come before you this morning. Lord, we just ask that you would bring life to your words, bring hope where it seems hopeless because we know that you are the hope giver, you're the way maker, miracle worker as the song says. Lord, let, let your words bring true, let your words bring life this morning as we share this uh, word that you've given me in Jesus' name. Amen. So the scripture that I have is out of John, and it's uh, chapter 6. And I've, I've, I've titled this, um, What's in Your Hands? Or, Is There a Miracle in Your Hands? Because in John 6, this talks about, well, we're just, we're just going to read it, right? John 6, 1. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Tiberias was a Roman name for it. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Now this did not include women and children. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. Several versions say, And they gathered up 
the leftover pieces so that nothing is wasted. So they gathered up, verse 13, so they gathered up and filled 12 baskets of fragments for the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. That's a whole sermon in of itself. Why 12? Hmm. 12 disciples. Interesting. Jesus takes care of those who serve him. And that's been our testimony for over 22 years. It continues to be our testimony today uh, as we serve him with our gifts and talents. Um, we have our testimony. We've never had lack. I don't have everything I want. You know, a few really cool cars that I would like. Don't have those, so he gives us he gives us our needs, not our wants. Jesus does extraordinary things with ordinary people. We can attest to that. We are just Ordinary people that live in a little village, little city called Glenair, there's nothing really that special about us, right? There's also, in this story, uh, there's this ordinary little kid. We don't know his name. Bible doesn't tell us that. Just that there was a young boy. He came to a crowded event to hear this traveling preacher. He never dreamed for a moment that he would become the central figure in an epic story at that particular time in history. That preacher, Jesus. He was just a kid with a lunch. And it contained five little loaves and two fish. Now, it's interesting because, you know, in, in, as Janice and I were talking, it's uh, one of those things where it's like, how did Andrew know that there was a boy there with fish? I can imagine him running up, hearing the conversation, right? And, hey, hey, Jesus, he might have been one of those little boys that the disciples were trying to keep away. We don't know, right? But what we do know is Jesus said, don't keep the kids from me. So we're imagining he could be this little boy and, hey, hey, Jesus, I've got this fish and I've got some bread. Would you like them? Could happen. We don't know. What we do know is that every single one of us has gifts and talents, loaves and fish. That Jesus is asking us to give to him to use for his glory. Like the little boy, what do we do? What's in your hands? Young people, it's quite a few of you, you're awesome. You know what? Don't think this story isn't for you. Because who did Jesus use? He used a young person, right? He had him ready. And yes, you have gifts and talents in your hands that the Lord has placed within you that He wants to use for His glory. 
The question is, will you let him? Mm -hmm. This little boy, on any other day of the week, he just had a sack lunch. But on this day, it became the stuff of miracles. It's amazing what can happen when you place what you have in your hands into the hands of Jesus. 22 years ago, Janice and I placed what we had in the hands of the Master. Ourselves. Because that's all we had. We said as the song, you know, who will, who will go for us? And we said, Lord, we'll go. Send us. Now, uh, couldn't have told you at the time where Guatemala was located. Didn't have a clue. Uh, never heard of it. But we said, hey, we'll go. We found out it was in Central America. It's like, really? Where's Central America? <laughs> you know, heard of North America, heard of South America, but Central America? No. There's this little stretch of land that is uh, pretty amazing that we've spent a great deal of time in. Um, all our kids have been there. Uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty awesome to us. Um, what else is pretty awesome is, is what can happen when you give to Jesus the things you hold in your hands. We don't know who this little boy was, but he was confronted with a choice, as we all are confronted with choices on a daily basis. Will we place what we have in the hands of Jesus? Will we give it to him cheerfully? Because we're thanking this little boy as we were talking to him. You know, he was, he was excited. I'm, I'm going to be able to get this to Jesus for him to use. 2 Corinthians 9 7 says, The Lord loves a cheerful giver. And I can just imagine him being ecstatic over this little boy. He just had some ordinary stuff. And that day, bread and fish was just ordinary stuff, right? It was just a lunch. We don't know where the little boy was headed either. We just know he's in the middle of the crowd and he's right there by Jesus' side and he offers him what he has. What about us? You know, we, we think things like, I know it's, you've been after me, Lord, for a while to do fill in the blank. And he keeps asking us, right? He's... He's the hound of heaven. He's, he's the one that says, I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not going to let you go. What do we have in our hands? You want to hear the truth? He will use what we make available to him. This little boy made available his lunch. There's five lessons to learn, or that I've picked out from this amazing miracle. First is, never underestimate the Lord's ability to meet a need. The place was a desert with patches of grass in it. 
The time was late. There was a lot of people, and they were hungry. But Jesus not only met the need, he met it with abundance. And he can meet whatever we face today. Are you facing challenges today? My guess is in a gathering such as this, there's many challenges, many difficulties that are happening. My, my point is if we give them to the Lord, He's got big shoulders. He can handle it. And He'll handle it with abundance if we turn it over to Him. I find it interesting that, that Jesus uh, took what He offered, what was offered, and put it in the hands of His disciples. I mean, right? he's, he's God. He's Jesus. Um, miracle maker. But what did He do? He placed it into the hands of His disciples. Second point. Jesus is never left wondering what to do. You know, remember that word or that little phrase, WWJD. What would Jesus do? You know, like, yeah, I started thinking about it and, and preparing for this, and it's just like, Jesus is never left wondering what to do. <laughs> really, he's not. He may, and oftentimes does, test our faith as he did with Philip. What did he say in verse 6? It says, And he said this to test it, for he himself knew what he was going to do. He had it planned. He had it ready. Do the circumstances sound a little familiar? Don't we say things like, but God, there's so many things wrong with the world. Who am I? I know that to be true because I said the same thing. You know, we saw the reason we got into missionary work was because we saw people coming back home, beat up, battered, and bruised by ministry. And we said, that shouldn't happen, God. Why don't you do something? Um, the old proverbial truth comes right back at you and says, <laughs> what are you doing? Let me relay it this way. Um, a man seeing the news about the disease and hunger and poverty and sorrow in the world turned to his wife and said, sometimes I just want to ask God, why doesn't he do something about this? And if his wife is anything like my wife, there may be a lot of you out there. She replied, what's stopping you from asking him? <laughs> And my answer would be the same as this gentleman, because I'm afraid he'll ask me the same question. And I did. And he did. What are you doing? That, good question, God. What are we doing? Never count yourself out when the Lord starts to work. I counted myself out before we even got started, because who am I? 
I don't have any special gifts. I don't have any special talents. I don't have a theology degree. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. How many times do we say that? God doesn't care what you don't have. Right? He has a concern about what's in your hands. What have I placed inside of you that I want you to use for my glory? He's not a I don't or I can't God. He's the God of I can and I will. Trust me. Watch me. Test me. Let me prove myself that he does. What has God been speaking to you? One thing that stands out uh, about the early followers of Jesus was that they were just ordinary people, you know? He didn't call. He didn't go to the synagogue. He didn't get all the burned people of the day. Who'd he pick? Fishermen. Ordinary people doing ordinary stuff. But they saw extraordinary results by following the Master. We have a variation of that within C10. It's our little catchphrase uh, that we put on a, a lot of different things. And we say, we are just helping ordinary people partner with God to accomplish the extraordinary. We have missionaries in Guatemala that, that are seeing extraordinary things happening because they said, here am I. Use me. And he goes, we have, uh, we have a young lady that, that is amazing. And if I were interviewing her today for being a missionary in Guatemala, and I've told her this, uh, I, I would have said, mm, no, I don't think you have the stuff that it takes. And uh, her eyes went up and said, really? And I said, yeah. Because in need, we can make we can make mistakes, and she would have been a mistake because she is a phenomenal young lady, doing phenomenal work, feeding widows and orphans and children, and with an abundance every month. And I, I said, you know, I would have, and I have apologized to her for thinking those things, because we don't know what God's going to do through each of us when we place ourselves in his hands. Um, this little boy obviously gave what he had willingly. Here it is, Lord. Take it. Use it. Will it help? Can we help? In verse 11, it says, Jesus taking the loaves and gave them to his disciples, and they gave it to the people. In other words... The miracle happened in their hands while they were passing out the food, while they were being obedient. Hey, Lord said, after he blessed it, take it, pass it out. You ever really stop to think about 5,000 people? That's just a minute. In that day, women and children weren't counted, and that make you feel good. Uh, aren't we glad that he counts us? Right? 5,000 people with five 
little loaves and two fish. Amazing. Someone gave what they had to Jesus. He blessed it and gave it back to them. Why? Because He chooses to work through His people. He chooses to work through His children to bless people. Never assume what you have is too insignificant to matter. Who am I? Just an average guy that ran a print shop in the middle of nowhere that nobody knew of except my family and some friends. I was thankful for that. But who am I to go and do the Lord's work? Don't we say that sometimes? Who are you not? <laughs> We're child of the king. I tell our granddaughters, you know, you're a child of a king. You know what that makes you? That makes you a princess. Right? I have two granddaughters here. They're precious. They have gifts and talents that the Lord wants to use for His glory. We all have a choice to make. <clears throat> all it took for Jesus to perform that miracle was five loaves and two fish. And one of the one of the disciples said, "What are those among so many?" I like the contemporary English version. It says, uh, "It says that Philip answered, don't you know that it would almost take a year's wages just to buy only a little bread for each of these people?'" Started looking up. How much was a denarii? Throughout the Bible, right? So I said, hmm, how much is a hundred denarii worth in the Bible? If a hundred denarii was worth or equal four months' salary at current minimum wage, it would be the equivalent of $11,733.33, which is substantially more than the NIV footnote of it was a few dollars. <laughs> so what does that mean? God only not only gives enough, but He supplies more than enough. They didn't just take a little, but everyone had as much as they wanted. They were filled. I think it's tragic how many people count themselves out of being a blessing simply because they feel they don't measure up. That what they have, what you have, is insignificant. Not in the hands of Jesus. He brings significance into everything that He does, into every person who calls on His name. How many of us have been there? How many of us are still there on occasion? Uh, thing that I remember, the thing that he brings back to me is that in his hands, a little is way more than enough. 
So another never hold on to what the Lord's asking of you. What if the boy had kept the lunch to himself? He went ahead of lunch, but that's about it. You may think that you're just an ordinary person with ordinary looks, ordinary thoughts, and ordinary talents, and ordinary dreams. But Jesus can do something amazing with that sack lunch of yours if we'll let him. If we'll let him have it. <clears throat> He will do amazing things. How many people never reach their full potential in life simply because they overlook the potential of the ordinary? If you simply start where you are, instead of waiting to start until you get where you hope to go, you can become all you ever dreamed of being. I want to say that again. If you simply start where you are instead of waiting to start until you get where you hope to go, you will become all you ever dreamed of being. It's a little phrase in Spanish that says poco y poco. Little by little. Step by step. Day by day. We instantly, if, if you're like me and Maybe you're not. Hopefully you're not. Uh, <laughs> we, we start to calculate our limited resources and begin to confess that, God, this isn't enough. You know, my meager savings, my meager amount isn't enough. And when I get done having my little pity party and almost convince myself that uh, we can do nothing with the little that we have, God steps in. Everyone is filled with an ample supply left over. Never overlook the potential of the ordinary. Christ often tests us to see what we will say and do in the presence of overwhelming difficulty. But He always knows the way out. It's like the story Janice read to you about this missionary. He's you know, he's kind of slipping into a little bit of depression because he sees his friends leaving and people are leaving the field. Uh, you know, a little, little scary truth uh, is that, as I said earlier, you know, we, the reason we got into, we called it missionary care at the time, right? It's pastoral care. It comes by a lot of different names because we saw people coming home. We're called, Lord, where did they get beat up? By other missionaries? By people that said you're not enough? What you have is insignificant. We came up, we came because we said, Lord, we don't have much. Lord said, yes, you do. There's a story that we tell. Um, when we were sitting in the director's office in the offices of Kerrville, Texas, C-10, and, uh, we were packing up our stuff to go, and 
Janice was already downstairs saying her goodbyes because we were going to leave the next morning for the 13-hour drive back here. And uh, the director comes along with the founder and he said, hey, David, you and Janice got a moment. We'd like to speak to you in the office. And if you knew me young, when I was younger, it was never a good thing. <laughs> right? I want to talk to you a minute. I was usually in trouble. And, you know, I went down and I, I got Jan and I told her the same thing and she knows me well. And so she gave me that wifely look like, what did you do? <laughs> now that they've heard from us, now that they've seen us, we're getting kicked out. And I said, I didn't do anything. But they want to talk to us, so let's go. So we went and talked to them. And as they started sharing, and they said, you know, we have, for over a year, we've been looking, praying, searching for somebody to join our staff. We think maybe you two are that one of those persons. And I said, I looked at him in the eye, and I said, Jack, we couldn't possibly. We're broken. And we were. We were two of those people that were beat up, battered, bruised by ministry. Um, God wasn't done with us yet. And Jack looked at me. Jack Rothenblum has great wisdom. He's now retired. Uh, but these words will never, ever leave me. He looked at me straight in the eye and he says, you are broken. But God wants to take those broken pieces and use it to heal relationships. Use it to heal people who are beat up better and pierced by ministry as you are. You can't argue with that, right? He wants to take the broken pieces of our lives, those things that people normally toss out, and he wants to use them, if we'll let him. So the question is, what do you have in your hands? What is it in your hands? What are the gifts, the talents, the finances that you can give to the Lord that will feed those who are physically and spiritually Luke 6, 38 says, If you give to others, you will be given a full amount in return. It will be packed down, shaken together, and spilling over into your lap. The way you treat others is the way you will be treated. <clears throat> My wife's a giver. I've often said that we would have some money if she didn't give it all away. <laughs> and then it reminds me of what we just read. We, our testimony is that we have a full amount in return because we gave what we had. 
So what's in your hands? There's a miracle waiting to be placed into the hands of Jesus in each one of our hands. Do you believe that? Can you believe that? I certainly didn't. But I confess to you today that there's been miracles in our hands. We have seen amazing things happen. Not because of us and not because of any special talents that we possess, but because of the person that we possess or that possesses us, <coughs> Jesus Christ. So, never underestimate the Lord's ability to meet a need. Jesus is never left wondering what to do. Never count yourself out when the Lord starts to work. Never assume that what you have is too insignificant to matter. Never hold on to what the Lord is asking from you. Remember that in God's hands, a little <clears throat> is more than enough. And we're going to close with this. It's um, a saying that, that I read not too long ago. And it's made an impact in my life. So much so that, that after the end of our three-day orientation, we had meetings, right, for pastoral care staff to just discuss things. And at some, some point in the, in the meeting, I said, can I share this? Because it's had an impact in my life. And it is one of those things that, that I'm going to try to live by. And it's this. Don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to fail. But be very afraid at succeeding in something that God's not in. Right? Father, we thank you that it's not about us. It's about who you are. And it's about who we are in you and what you have placed within us that you want to use for your kingdom and for your eternal glory. Lord, use each of us as you will. Stir up the fires within us, Lord, to give you what you have placed in our hands. Lord, may you be blessed as we go out of here today. May you continue to show yourself the amazing miracle worker that you are in each of our lives. Give you all praise, honor, and glory for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now next week... I don't know what uh, Pastor Nathan has for us. I'm sure it's going to be awesome. Um, we'll be here. I hope. Uh, I hope we're not here, but we may be. But before, uh, and, he, and he told us last week, you know, there's something working, and he's going to check that out, and he will. But before we dismiss, uh, my precious wife wants to say something.
So we did bring a few um, bookmarks that are 30 ways to pray for a missionary. If you want to pick those up, then we also brought um, just a few of our newsletters if, if you're interested. But I also brought two things that I want to give away. So when you stand up underneath two chairs, if you just kind of lift up the bottom, I have two stickers underneath two chairs. So if you have one of those stickers, I have something for you. Bless you. Have a good week.